Welcome to Leading Tomorrow, the Oakwood podcast about human resources, leadership, and the future of the workplace. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Oakwood podcast series. My name is Saima, and I'll be your host. Our theme for today's podcast is change management. To say 2020 has been a year of change is an understatement. It's definitely been a year of uncertainty and transition for everyone. So whether it's organizations or individuals coping with change in their own way. A very warm welcome to our guest today, John Capel, who is an associate consultant at Oakwood International. John is going to be talking to us about change management today. Hi, John, and welcome to the Oakwood podcast. Hi, Simon, and thanks for having me. I hope everyone is safe and well. Uh, yep, yeah, we're, um, uh, as you know, we're in the UK, so uh, everything's uh, okay at the moment. That's lovely. All right, John, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, uh, so my name is John Capel. Um, as Simon said, I'm an associate consultant with uh, Oakwood International. And one of my um, areas uh, of specialism is change management. Um, so I first started to uh, learn about change management ironically on uh, 9-11 2001 so I was in a change management wow. workshop when uh, the twin towers in Manhattan were coming down yeah so I've been involved were you in, in Manhattan at that time no 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 uh, my manager at the time was um, oh, but I, wow. I, I was in the UK and as we had breaks during the workshop we were going out and watching the big tv screens and then watching airplanes going into buildings uh, so you know, quite a quite a something that stuck obviously in the back of my mind you know, to start learning about change management on a day like that is yeah. uh, something you don't forget too often. That's a workshop to remember. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. So let's start off with um, the first thing that I wanted to speak to you about was that mm -hmm. 2020 has been a classic change management case study in itself. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about it? I, th I think it's absolutely a, um, it's a classic in many ways. Um, you know, one of the things I always say, I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of working in 50 different countries. And I think once you strip back race, religion, gender, um, you know, we are all human beings. And this pandemic has hit everybody globally. Um, so you see a lot of the, the classic um, aspects of change, you know, the need to, to change things quickly. Uh, you see people resisting to change. You start seeing people getting anxious all the classic things have come out but I think there's there's also a lot to learn from what's happened in 2020 yeah. uh, you know I think you know as we go through we'll talk about some of those aspects in in particular um, I think the other thing as well is it shows that you know we can as humans um, and organizations change rapidly when we need to um, yeah. so I think you know yes th th there's lots you can I'm sure people will be talking about change management and uh the year of 2020 for many years to come. Yeah, that's true. I'm going to put a pin in what you said about people resisting change. I'll speak mm -hmm. to you about that um, a little along the line. So yeah. if I ask you, what's the biggest area related to your role that you're curious about and why, um, what would you say? I think the, the biggest thing that I'm curious in at the moment, uh, and I do done a lot of thinking about and also talking to people about is, you know, we're probably at a time now where we have, maybe three, four, even five generations of people working in the same organization. Right. You know, and I, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. 
Um, so mm. I grew up before the internet, before mobile phones, before apps on phones. Whereas you've now got you know your Gen Zs who are coming through and they like to communicate via social media. Mm-hmm. And this this is a real challenge when you're looking at communication for change management. Is how do you communicate with these different generations? Um, their needs are different. Their their views on change are different. Um, yeah. So some you know some organisations are trying to stop younger generations using mobile apps um, because I think they're just using it to chat with each other. But I think you know we need to think about how do we use this to engage that population because. You know, one of the things about change management is about engaging people and engaging sure. that, that that span of generation that span of generations is actually quite difficult yeah mm-hmm. do you think do you think that's a very interesting point that you make about organizations stopping the younger generation mm-hmm. from using mobile apps do you think that has something to do with trust or a lack thereof um no i think i think it is uh, to do with trust and mm-hmm. i think one of the other um, aspects of change which um the pandemic has brought out which you know, is people working from home, um, you know, up until just recently, say, you know, the last year, um, you know, there's always been a lack of trust in terms of managers and employees, in, in my opinion. You know, the reason we don't let people work from home is because you can't see them. Exactly. Whereas, you know, what we should be doing is managing them on output. Um, you know, and if we do that, then they, they literally can work from wherever. Um, so I think yeah. the, the, the pandemic has brought that out. Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting point you make, because when I'm delivering a change management or an employee engagement session, I Mm -hmm. quite often reference, or even performance management, I quite often reference presenteeism versus absenteeism. Mm -hmm. So I can can be in the office for the sake of being there so that I'm not, you know, so that I am visible Mm -hmm. to my manager and absolutely do nothing except warm the seat. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's, it's easy to see that, okay, if Simon's not in the office, she's not at work. Yeah, but I think it boils down to this same point that you were talking about mm-hmm. about trust being a very important component. Yeah, and yeah, I, that's you, you know, and I think um, you know we we should recognise that you know most people in the workplace are adults. They all have a brain, they have a heart, they have feelings. You know, and we should uh, you know embrace that and and encourage people to you know be themselves. They spend many many hours at work, and you know we need to find ways of trusting people. Yeah, so it's quality, not quantity. That's Absolutely. what we need to yeah. focus on. Yeah, indeed. So, um, would you say that this has been a transformational change to the world of work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, particularly for some organisers. I mean, they, you know, you, you, you know, I'm talking to students as as a you um, on a regular basis, and there are mm-hmm. some organisations where you know they, they've been uh, ready for it. Um, they've yeah. been able to cope with the change a lot better, and there are some it has been a complete transformation, you know, in terms of having to have better IT platforms, having to rethink their processes, think about how do I manage remote teams? So for some organizations, it's completely turned the culture, the way they work on its head. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I was just reading online, I mean, over the past, oh my God, eight months, Mm -hmm. can you believe it? Mm-hmm. Been eight months nearly it's the end incredible of the year. isn't it <laughs> it's, it is absolutely so um and the deloits of this world you know salesforce mm-hmm. twitter um google everyone's saying work from home until like, yeah. the foreseeable future twitter has yeah. said we're doing away with the commercial real estate which mm-hmm. i think is a 
cost efficient but it's again it's like we're talking about it's completely changing how exactly. we're working and they've yeah. always been ready for that change mm-hmm. because i think in the west we've always they've always been ready with the remote working model yeah so you know telecommuting mm-hmm. and remote working has been normal it's not something that's shot out of the blue no. but i think for the rest of the world it's been more of you know if i'm not physically in the office mm-hmm. my output will be questioned yeah you know and I, th- and i think there's also um i mean this is one of the things about change is that um you know, sometimes we make assumptions about how people will react to certain things and for some people remote working is possibly the best uh, sorry the worst situation you can put them in um yeah. you know you know they hate it they need people around them to talk to they need the social interaction so to suddenly be sitting behind a pc screen and discussing things for them is builds anxiety it feels like they're in isolation um, yeah. so we we need to think about all aspects of this yes it does make sense not to have all this real estate yes for some people like most people it is a uh, fantastic to be able to work from home and there are lots of benefits but they're also you know potential downsides when it comes to you know we talk about people's well-being yeah for some people this is this is having a negative effect on that that's true some people are thriving mm-hmm. while others are struggling and i think that also has a lot to do with the culture of the organization and yeah. probably the region mm-hmm. where where people have remote working because it's you need to be on call all the time yeah. uh-huh. so you because well you know i you can stay connected you're at home uh-huh. so some students that i speak to they absolutely love it because mm-hmm. they say like you said you know it's fantastic i get yeah. to spend time with my family and some are just saying i cannot wait to mm-hmm. go back to the office because absolutely. the work life balance has completely gone out the window yeah, yeah. and some you know like you say some people need to compartmentalize that and say yeah. okay that's my work this is my home life this is my okay. social mm-hmm. life you know suddenly when you're doing it from within the same building it's sometimes a little bit difficult absolutely and i think employers also have um a large role to play in this that while i may want to compartmentalize i need Mm -hmm. the support yeah because i can want it as much as i want to but then if i don't get the support then that's sort of you know contradictory exactly yeah yeah and and like you say you know our our personal choices around work-life balance are different yeah. You know, some people like to spend 24 hours a day in the office because they're workaholics. You know, other people say, right, okay, you know, my family is the most important thing. So I need to be able to say, right, okay, this is my work time and then this is my social time. So it's, yeah. it's a choice for everybody. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. What's your biggest priority with regards to the change management agenda? Um, I think, you know, it's about engaging people. It's about listening to them. You know, uh, change will never happen without people. You can have the best processes in the world. You can have the best IT system in the world. But unless you engage people, people aren't coming with you. The change is never, ever going to happen. Yeah. Um, And you're not going to see often with changes because the business wants to do something different. Uh, and from that, they're expecting a certain level of benefits um, or return. And you're never going to see that. So yeah. that, that is, and that's a fundamental, I suppose, uh, personal belief is that, you know, we need to bring people with us. Yeah. Empower them. Exactly. Explain. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a brilliant segue for the next question, which is why yeah. do people resist change? <laughs> it's a, an interesting question. Um, I mean, it's often, it, so again, this is in my view, and I think if you talk to others as well, it's because 
people resist change because they feel they're losing control of something. Um, so they, you know, suddenly they they're having to use a new system when they were an expert before. Yeah. So they're losing that that expertise. Uh, they might be working with a different group of people, so they're losing a certain amount of comfort. Um, so, as human beings, we we tend to like a certain level of control. Um, right. Some people like more control. Some people like less. Agreed. But I was I always remember. You know, like I say, I've been involved in change now for, um, you know, sort of 20, 25 years. Um, and about five years ago, I was talking to a group uh, and I said to this group, you know, I love change. Um, yeah. And uh, we'd been talking about why people resist and this lack of control. And a young graduate um, turned around to me and she said, there's a reason you like change, John. And I said, why is that? She said, because you're in control. I said, what That's do you mean? interesting. She said, yeah, so she said, well, if I told you you were going to go and work in that office over there for the next six months on an Excel spreadsheet, how would you feel about that? And I said, I, I would hate it. Yeah. She said, therefore, you know, you're, you know, the fact that you are going to different countries, working with different people, you make those choices, and that's why you like the change. If change is then forced upon you with something you don't like, then yeah. you see resistance. So, you know, so it's it, how, it, how it benefits me. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think um, in terms of resistance, it's very much about people are resisting what comes with the change, what they're losing, not necessarily. So it's not it's not the new system they're resisting. It's not the new organizational structure they're resisting. It's the impact on them. You know, what are they what do they feel they're losing because of it? So fear would be a motivator to, to resist change. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's not understanding. So do you think lack of understanding and fear of the unknown would can be coupled together when it comes to resistance? Absolutely. And and, and that comes back to um, one of the key points around change is we have to be very, very clear to people about why the change needs to happen. Yeah, we we shouldn't be trying to make it sound better with management speak and consultancy speak. Yeah, people have to understand change. They don't have to like it. But if they Agreed. understand, if they understand yeah. it, they can make an educated decision. So yeah, and there's always a choice at the end of it. Yeah, and, yeah. but you know, we, we just need to be transparent, open, and honest with people as much as we possibly can. Yeah, that's true. So change is the only thing that's a constant, and mm-hmm. generally speaking, we need to have a proactive approach if we are to succeed. And I'll talk about being proactive and responsive. Mm-hmm. Um, in in a while Mm -hmm. but my question to you is with regards to change fatigue Mm -hmm. what can leaders do to relieve some of the pressure when it comes to the change fatigue that you and I and everyone at large is experiencing yeah so I think part of it is um, helping people build a resilience to change Um, so getting them to recognize you know maybe some of the positives in the change you know what can they learn from it uh, I think there's also um, one of the things I see a lot of is that you, like you say change is constant. Yeah. And sometimes we don't allow people time to embed one change before the next one comes along. Agreed. So it is just, you know, one thing after another. So people don't see a connection of why these changes are happening. So I think right. leaders can, you know, start to think about, you know, maybe scheduling change a little bit better. Um, yeah. I think, you know, they, see to, they need to recognize that when people are resisting change, it is a natural human reaction. It's not people being awkward. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think you, you made a point earlier, you know, that we should be giving people support, yeah. you know, whether that be communication, training, development, um, you know, having some discussion, open discussions with people. You know, that just helps people feel that, um, you know, then sometimes you get groups of people where people are saying, you know, I, I'm feeling this way about the change. And sometimes they feel they're the only person feeling that way. Yeah. Whereas that there may be lots of their other colleagues feeling exactly the same. So we need to you know, have those open, honest discussions with them and give them the opportunity to, to discuss it. To empathise and to have yeah. an open culture as well. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and one of the key things that I think is becoming more prominent, particularly in change leadership, because, you know, we, 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 we train leaders to be leaders. And in change leadership, I think there are some skills that need to be more... Um, prominence of emotional intelligence for one that's so true you know some of the best change leaders i have seen have been very high you know, very highly emotionally intelligent you know, picking up on those little signs being able to manage their own emotions during stressful times you know and you know that that, that really enables other people to sort of build their own sort of resilience during it yeah and um, this is something that I tell students uh, when we're doing change management, mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about um, Kubler-Ross. Mm -hmm. So I tell them, well, as much as you have the seven stages of grief or the yeah. se how you deal with mm -hmm. change, it's not necessary. It's never one size fits all strategy. No, exactly. So how John is going to, okay, so John may not even experience shock. He mm -hmm. may just jump onto understanding yeah. and moving on, whereas Thyma may just be wallowing in depression for the longest time yes so how how as hr are we going to deal with both of them so we're not going to sit with john and be like oh john don't worry yeah john will be like but i'm not yeah and you can't really tell simon okay chin up let's move no. on mm -hmm. so we have to have a balance yeah, yeah that's very think, important yeah. yeah and i think also there there's an onus on i mean you mentioned sort of hr there but there's a there's a real um onus on line managers to deal with those situations as well because the so line true. managers are going to be the people that see whether people are behaving differently yeah. so we need we need to upskill our line managers in saying right okay if you see a change in Simon's behavior because of the announcement of this change yeah go and have a conversation with try and understand why her behavior has changed true um you know because they are going to see it um you know, we're, we're, if we're in HR, we're, we'll only sort of see that later on. Yeah. So we need to treat our employees like valued members Absolutely. and family, right? Yeah, yeah that's mm -hmm. true. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So Charles Darwin said that it is not the strongest of the species that survive, not the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Mm -hmm. So am I, am I the, how do I phrase this? So should I be proactive or is the test really in how responsive we are? Um, I mean, I, I often say to people, and again, this is something that I've tried to do throughout my, certainly my working career is, you know, there's two ways you can look at change as an individual. You can either let it happen to you or you can try and influence it. True. Um, so, you know, I always say to people, try and be proactive, you know, try and look for solutions, try and think about, okay, there's no point in sitting there and going this change will never work it's it's rubbish um, yeah this is not going to you know, if you feel that way then maybe think about leaving the organization um, yeah. or you know make a decision for yourself and say okay can i see anything in this for me if i can embrace try and embrace it you know, because i think one of the things that 
if we all look back on our lives about some of the changes we've been through, yeah. um, some of them, you know, may have felt painful at the time or difficult yeah. at the time, but we've all come through them. Um, and we need to look back and say, right, okay, what did we learn from that? You know, how's that made me more resilient? Um, you know, how, how has that enabled me to take on the next change in a more positive way? What skills did I learn? Um, how's how's my behaviour changed? Because um, yeah, mm. I think there are a lot of learnings we can take. Yeah, yeah. it's what you learn from the change, and Absolutely. also think about what's in it for me. Mm -hmm. So that becomes another motivator on on the learning aspect of change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. So do you think that robust communication and training are critical components when implementing such transformational change? Yeah, um, I do. Mm -hmm. um, but what I will say is that there are some organizations that I've worked with many, many that just see that as the only thing that needs to happen yeah. So training and communication. But it's change management is a lot more complex than that. True. You know, we need to engage people. Uh, we need to make sure we are communicating the right messages at the right time. Yeah. You know, we need to make sure we're de delivering the right training at the right time. We need to make sure our leaders are leading change in a way that is going to enable the change. Uh, we need to, like I say, manage, resist, recognize resistance and manage resistance. Right. You know, we need to look for opportunities to engage people sooner in the change process rather than later on yeah because you know, the sooner the sooner we engage people the more people begin to buy into it we create more advocates yeah um, but sometimes in organizations we're frightened of engaging too many people um and i think that's because maybe we don't want to hear what they're saying yeah um maybe they might come up with lots of ideas that we can't implement but we can't turn around to them and say you know thanks but no thanks you know, we you know, if we manage their expectations and engage them sooner, uh, that enables a more effective way of implementing change. That's true. You can also engage your na the naysayers, mm -hmm. and I've, and once you engage them, they become your strongest advocates. Yeah, don't they? indeed. Yeah. I mean, I've worked on many projects where, you know, like you say, uh, there's one that comes to mind. I won't mention the organisation, but it's a, an organisation in the UK where. The biggest naysayer would actually stand up in the middle of the office and tell everybody why she thought this change was rubbish, um, it would never work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, we sort of said to her, "Okay, have a look at this. It was we were implementing a new system. Um, so yeah. Okay, look, go and have a look at this new system." She sat down on the new system. Literally within five minutes, she'd gone from the biggest naysayer to the biggest advocate of this change. Yeah. What, what she recognised, basically she thought she was losing control of her job because yeah. it was take, taking away a, a, an old paper-based process and it was bringing in a new electronic process. Um, and when she went onto the system, she then realised that she had more control than she had before. Yeah. So suddenly she was like, wow. You know. um, so, yeah, I mean, once she was on board, we had... Yeah, it's probably one of the smoothest transitions of change I've, I've worked on. So, because the resistance then becomes disengagement. Mm -hmm. You know, if yeah. if it's not sort of curbed no, immediately, exactly. yeah. and I think the disengagement and the demotivation is even more infectious. Yeah, if I can use that at this the time that we're living in, <laughs> if I can <laughs> use this term. Yeah, probably an inappropriate <laughs> phrase to use. <Yeah>. <laughs> but. Um, 
Okay, so how, how do you think we can engage remote employees? Uh, and again, I think this is, you asked earlier about, um, you know, what are some of the things that I'm thinking about and looking at when it comes yeah. to, to change. And again, this is another one is about, um, like I say, how, how do you engage remote employees? I think some of that is about, you know, we, we, we put IT or, you know, communication like this, Zoom, um, you know, uh, WebEx, whatever we're using um, uh, as a barrier. Um, but I think it's just yes you know it does feel different when we're face to face with people we can still have social interactions on zoom we can still have conversations that are non-work related on webex or and I think you know we, we should try and not just see you know I've got a meeting in my diary on zoom let's go and talk about work stuff let's remember that we are colleagues and we can have a chat about something you know what did we do yesterday what have we been watching what are our feelings on certain things so build in social time even on you know it uh, platforms yeah Um, that's true you know um and even i mean you know i've I've got colleagues who you know they'll have a working lunch together online so they'll be sitting eating and talking working on the screen and you know um it, it just enables some of that social interaction still. Yeah, virtual potluck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? You know? Exactly, why not? Yeah. yeah. So how do you think we can influence and measure the behavior aspect when it comes to change? Yeah, I mean, this, this is often um, a discussion I like to have with uh, line managers. Cause the question I ask them is, you know, can they change their employees' behaviors? Yeah. And often the answer I get is yes. Um and I then challenge that and say, you know, you can't change their behavior. You can influence the way they think. That's true. Um, and the way they think may change their behavior. We can't change it. That's true. So, so part of this is um, I have a little bit, I don't know whether this is psychology or not, but it works for me. So I have a formula. So I often write down on a flip chart S times B, no, sorry, S times T equals B. So the situation we're in, multiplied by the way we think about that situation drives our behavior. So that's the result you see. So I often say, okay, imagine there's a spider on the floor. So that's the situation. Mm -hmm. If I think that spider is going to bite my leg off and kill me, what behavior are you likely to see? So you'll see fear. You'll see me running around and screaming. Hysteria. Yeah. So I say, okay, often you you can't change the situation. There's always going to be a situation when a spider comes along. True. So to help me change my behavior, you need to help me think differently about it by telling me, you know, that spiders in the UK aren't venomous. They're not going to bite your leg off. Um, you, know, you may introduce a spider to me gradually. You might get me to watch certain videos. You might tell me a story. One of my participants said that um, he said, the way I try to get my children to not be fearful of spiders is I tell them that that's the daddy spider going out to find some lunch for his babies oh, that's a nice <laughs> so, way yeah so it's about trying to like say help them think differently uh, and there are so that there's an organization i work with in the uk um, that have some very good uh, tools um, that help you measure the level of resistance and the level of commitment you see okay. um, which then uh, you can then say okay if i know i'm seeing this level of resistance what are some of the actions i need to take to try and reduce some of that so there are there are organisations out there that have good analytical tools to help you measure those types of things and then put 
put actions in place. Softer elements. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. So driving people versus driving change. Mm -hmm. Do you think these two aspects are related? And if so, how? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like I said before, you know, the change will never happen without people. Yeah. Um, so I think rather than driving them, you need to engage them and bring them with you. Um, yeah. You know, and if you can achieve that, and if, again, certainly, you know, there, there will always be some people that will never engage with the change, will never see it as a good um thing uh again you know they they will i'll give you an example i used to work for i won't mention which but a large uk retail bank which merged with another large uk retail bank mm -hmm. back in the i think it was in the 1980s and i still had colleagues that were working for this new combined organization um and 20 years after they'd become the same company you'd go along to a workshop and they would always ask each other the same question. And they would ask whether they were a green or a blue. Because the two companies that merged, one of them had a green logo, one of them had a blue logo. Mm -hmm. So even 20 years after becoming the same company, they still felt they were part of the green company or part of the blue company. So, Their identity was with the older organization. Yeah, you, you could cut them through the middle. And uh, you know, in the UK, we have sticks of rock, which have the name of the seaside town through it and you, you could yes. cut these people through and you could see the name of the company that wow. they used to work for um, wow but you know uh, so as long, if you try as long as you can bring the majority of people with you uh, that will help you drive the change um, and i think if you drive to try to drive people too much they, that's when they feel fatigued that's when they feel that the change yeah. is being done to them rather than yeah. them being involved in it but it's a very us versus them mindset then, isn't mm -hmm. it? Because even after two decades, if they're saying I'm blue and you're green, yeah, that means there's a very clear understanding mm -hmm. that, you know, we are not the same or we are not in, in as part of us. Our identities are different, if I can yes, say that. Yeah. So and how do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, often when I use that example with other organizations where, you know, they've gone through uh, mergers and acquisitions and, you see people going, oh, yeah, you know, I still see myself as this, you know, even though I'm part of this new organization, I have been for 10 years, I still see myself as something else. Um, but do you think that's a failure on the part of leadership? Um, I think it probably uh, it's probably a lack of recognition that, you know, merging companies isn't just about changing logos and changing processes. There are yeah. cultural elements that we need to think about. Yeah, certainly, you know, the two organizations I was talking about that I was part of, the cultures were very, very different. You know, one was right. a very conservative organization, the other one was a very sales focused organization. Right. Um, and I don't think that was perhaps tackled, uh, well, not tackled, sort of maybe not to consider as perhaps it should have as much as it should have been. Right. Mm -hmm. So you need, you need to have a, quite a bit of strategy behind that when you're yeah behind yeah. yeah behind the cultural changes as well yeah, as the yeah. sort of you know more physical you know the processes the, the logos the you know management structures um it's about what sort of culture do you want to drive yeah. um what drive but what, what sort of culture is going to fit that new organization that's true because culture is something i feel that it's overlooked mm -hmm. it's either take it or leave it but it's yeah. less of a buy-in mm -hmm. and more of this is what it is yeah so we also need to focus on the deeper issues mm -hmm. rather than just the cosmetic ones, which is, yeah. like you said, the logo, the policies, the mm -hmm. processes, you know. 
Those yeah, can yeah. change at any exactly. time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's also something, you know, um, yeah, when we do um, organizational design and organizational development for students, yeah. we talk about things like the cultural web. Yeah. You know, start saying, okay, you know, we, there are things we can build into the design of our organization that will drive certain cultures. Um, True. So, you know, we can do things to try and develop the culture in a certain way. Um, yeah. You know, we need to, to, to recognize that you know, that is a conscious thing we need to do. It's sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, there are, there, there Overnight. are things we can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts on change-friendly leadership? Um, I suppose it depends on what we mean by change-friendly. Um, you know, because I think, like I said, you know, change leaders need to be more emotional, uh, emotionally yeah. intelligent, I should say. But also, you know, sometimes with some changes, there are no positive outcomes. Um, you know, sometimes a leader has to be firm, has to be open, has to be honest. And some of the best leaders I've seen are leaders that are very transparent. And they will say things like, you know, I did some work with a, an organization in the UK where the CEO used to say, um, I mean, it was a, an organization of about six or 700 people. Yeah. But again, what she used to do, she used to go around and say, look, you know, I mean, again, she's one of the most approachable ladies I've ever met. Um, yeah. Excellent leader. Um, but some of the changes they were implementing had negative results. And what yeah. she would do, is she'd heard rumours or people talking about the change. She would go along and say, right, okay, you can ask me any question you want about this change. I will give you an answer. You may not like the answer, but at least you know what the situation is. And she got a lot of respect from doing that. Um, yeah. You know, it's having that transparent approach. So she's a you know, friendly leader, but she's also very strong in terms of making sure the right messages get over. And that there is no sort of a confusion. There's no sort of, you know, I'm trying to make this sound better than it is. She was just very, very clear. It's about having those difficult conversations. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times people say, well, uh, you need to be transparent. But then at mm -hmm. the same time, they expect it to be all, you know, nice and yeah. something that would benefit them. But mm -hmm. then at the same time, it's like you mentioned, the leader that you were talking about, it was mm -hmm. plain black and white. This is what it is. And she yeah. believed in the transparency, exactly. which is very important. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you, you hear leaders trying to say things like, you know, we're going to you know, become number one in the world through process optimizations and decentralization through, you know, pragmatic approaches to, you know, IT platforms or whatever. And, yeah. and, people, and people go, sorry, what did you just say? Or they, <laughs> they, they read between the lines and go, right, okay, so what you're saying is there's going to be job losses. And sometimes yeah. it's, you know, if there are going to be job losses, just say so. That's uh, the thing. I, it, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I think a lot of times leaders don't treat the staff as intelligent mm -hmm. beings. Yeah. They just think that this is what I'm going to tell them and this mm -hmm. is what they're going to buy. Yeah. Because people, it's like you said, people can read between the lines. Mm -hmm. So it's better to be transparent than just leave it open to interpretation. Yeah. Because I mean, that, you... that becomes Chinese whispers and then that's just Absolutely. more of a mess that you have to clean up after. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with a couple of organizations where the CEO at the time came out and said, okay, look, you know, you know, we're merging with this company. Yeah. You know, there will be job losses. I'm not going to try and hide that. He said, but at this moment in time, I don't know where those job losses are going to be, how many they're going to be, but I will let you know as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. 
And he carried on that and then went through that process and continuously communicated. And he got a lot of respect for that. The same organization then had another CEO a few years later who said, okay, we're now going through another merger. I guarantee there will be no job losses for 12 months. Yeah. Nine months in, suddenly there are job losses. And you think, so what, you know, why, why say there aren't going to be any? Um, or try, yeah. why, why try to say, uh, again, I think the feeling in the organization was, you know, he's saying that to try and make us feel better about this. Um, but, you know, like the, the first CEO said, look, you're not stupid. Yeah. You know there will be job losses. I'm not going to hide that from you. Uh, yeah. But but isn't it better that he did say, okay, this is what's happening? Oh, absolutely. Rather than it just, you know, mm-hmm. striking everyone like a, you know, yep. lightning bolt, like what Indeed. just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. it's better to have, be educated about it, I feel. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. So um, flip sides of the coin. So you've got mm-hmm. the positive and the challenges as well. So let's talk about what have been the positive aspects of change management um, in relation to the pandemic? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things, and again, I was talking to, uh, well, I'm actually running a, a program this week, I've been talking to the students. Um, I think one of the things is, you know, I, I think some companies have been surprised by how quickly they've adapted. You know, they probably thought, and again, I, you know, I can think about that myself, you know, we're, we're involved in learning and development and traditionally, you know, it's groups of people face to face in foreign countries. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, you can't fly anywhere. You can't have groups of people together. Suddenly, you're thinking, "What's going to happen? You know, how are we going to survive through this?" Yeah. And then suddenly, you think, "Right, okay, that you just got to think about it differently, and you know, come up with you know, innovative solutions. Think about different ways. And I say the the speed at which some organisations have changed themselves has been mm-hmm. absolutely amazing." You know, it was a matter yeah. of survival. So it was either sink or swim. Exactly. You know, yeah. We talk about organizational survivability on some of our programs, and it's, yeah. it's, it's that. So, you know, when people talk about being agile, you know, so, you know, what do we learn? How, how we, we become quicker at doing things in the, in the future? Um, so, I think that's, that's been a real positive for me. It's about, you know, the world hasn't stopped. You know, business, yeah. commerce still continues. Yes, there have been. Some organizations, unfortunately, that are not going to survive this, but there are others that have thrived. There are other businesses being created. Um, but do you think they won't survive because of resistance? I don't know. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, again, yeah, there's companies in the UK, you know, uh, retailers that have been on our high streets for 250 years that yeah. are just suddenly going under. So, you know, maybe there were underlying problems. Perhaps they weren't... Um, you know, uh, anticipating change as much as perhaps they should have been before the pandemic and perhaps the pandemic has just highlighted underlying issues. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I think I just think, you know, like I said, you know, the speed at which some have taken on uh, the new challenges has been fantastic, to be honest. So VUCA has completely come to life. Oh, absolutely. With the pandemic, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, you know. So the flip side, any challenges that have been faced or could come up with the change that we're going through? Um, I think, you know, again, thinking about it from my perspective or our perspective and talking to students, there's, you know, everybody talks about the new normal. Um, I, yeah. I, don't know, I just don't know That's what the new normal means. Death but, this but, year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new buzzword, isn't it? Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I love 
it's one of our colleagues. I won't name her because I don't want to embarrass her. But uh, she she says it's been like uh, a Corona coaster. Um, you know, <laughs> I think she's been, right. Yeah, I think there's been so many ups, so many downs. It's you know been uh, yeah, and I think it's like how much. I think one of the challenges is going to be is you know as you mentioned earlier on, you've got the likes of Twitter and Facebook and you know, um, uh, Deloitte saying okay, everybody's going to work from home. Is to, you know, how much do we go back to being able to work together socially and how much is still going to carry on remotely? Um, yeah. When you think about learning and development, you know, what has and when the pandemic's over, uh, both options are just as feasible. Um, yeah. So what are organisations going to do? Are they going to start getting people back together and paying for hotels and flights and et cetera, et cetera? Or are they going to continue to embrace the virtual learning um, opportunities? Um, so I think that that's going to be a challenge is, you know, we've probably gone completely one way. And how yeah. much are we, how far are we going to go back the other way? Or is there going to be some sort of happy medium? So it's from being very polarized to it's like you said having a balance. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of there were a lot of articles when this initially started off that the new normal mm-hmm. is how things are going to be because we mm-hmm. can't go back to the old normal mm-hmm. because that was never normal to yeah. begin with. <laughs> so I think that's that's an interesting point as well, and, and mm. obviously in relation to what you said we have to really think about, are we going back to square one mm-hmm. or are we going to adapt and learn from this? Yeah. Because I think it'd be tragic if we don't learn anything because clearly organizations are running businesses yeah. as usual because mm-hmm. people need to stay connected. I mean, yeah. when you and I used to work full time mm-hmm. in our respective organizations, I mean, if there was a upgrade to our PC, mm-hmm. we'd just be sitting there twiddling our thumbs or just get up and go home. Yeah because things have transitioned Mm -hmm. from a technological perspective so much. I mean, 30, 40 years ago, everything was paper-based. Yeah, exactly. The computers weren't the norm, Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 exactly. And again, I think it's it's also opened up, you know, lots of opportunities. Um, You know, you sort of think about learning and development like we're doing right now. I was running a workshop uh, probably about six weeks ago where there were two people in Canada, two in the US, there was one in Poland, there was one in France, there were two in Italy, and there was one in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Wow, that's amazing. And they're all, you know, so you literally had um, 12 hour difference, um, actually more wow. than that, near enough 24 hour difference in time zones. Wow. But people were like, okay, I want to do this. You know, so the lady in Melbourne was actually studying during the night. Um, my goodness but that speaks a lot about the commitment student commitment yeah because it was if it was physical attendance they would probably Mm -hmm. need to you know the cost of hotels and Mm -hmm. tickets and taking time off of work yeah exactly so this way you can kill two birds with one stone yeah and like i say it's because of the the you know the technology that's there that it it enables those things to happen so you know so there's been lots of opportunities lots of um as well as lots of downsides so we need to change the mindset of seeing technology as, you know, making people redundant. Mm-hmm. So that mind shift needs to happen. Yep. And think of it, consider it more of as an enabler, mm-hmm. like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit like now, you know, you're sitting in Dubai, I'm sitting in the UK. Yeah. But it feels like we're having a chat in my front room. 
exactly so it's like the geographical barriers or borders are just completely yeah, gone exactly. out the window yeah. Yeah. yeah so um if there's one piece of advice or some top tips <laughs> that you could share with the listeners uh what would they be or what would it be um that's an interesting question what would be my top tips um i think if you're managing change you need to obviously think about um how you communicate with your employees it's vitally important that we are clear and transparent with them i think you know as as an individual you need to think about often organizations aren't making these changes just because they can they're trying to do things to make the organization better um so that's very important change with purpose yeah that's very Um, you know and that's why you know, um, we should embrace that and say, so, okay, because you know, if the organisation becomes better, then hopefully there's more opportunities for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think, you know, ch- change is a good thing. I think, like like you were saying about, you know, I think it was Darwin, wasn't it, and saying that, you know, you look at all the companies that haven't, have not sort of foreseen um, changes happening. So your Kodaks, your you know, Blackberries, your Nokia's. Um, my standard examples yeah. you know, <laughs> or change management yeah. modules yeah and you classic think, yeah. yeah you know they, they um, and yet you see other organizations that are constantly thinking about how do we need to adapt how are our customers apple behaving differently apple you know yeah, so they're, they're all they've all so it's from a company perspective they embrace change they've foreseen change um but i think from an individual perspective is you know just try and like say try and see the positives of what comes out of different things. I mean, I was talking to my, digress, but I was talking to my daughter uh, yesterday who was saying about, you know, the pandemic and, you know, how did I feel about not being able to fly to Saudi Arabia and Dubai? Yeah. And, you know, and, uh, you know, thinking about, oh, you know, where, where's your next income coming from and that type of thing. I said, but I, you know, if you look at the positives, I said, you know, I've now spent nine months in my own bed. Uh, which I haven't done for years and years. And wow. Years. Uh, I know uh, a lot more of my neighbours that I didn't know before. I've been wow. supporting local businesses by buying local food. That's lovely. So sometimes it's about seeing the positives that come from it as well as um, you know, don't just focus on the negative side of things. Yeah. yeah. I think Amazon is another classic example. Yeah, exactly. It's just maddening at, at the yeah. pace of change yeah. that that co- company is growing i mean mm-hmm. from the beginnings to where it is now and yeah. how it plans on yeah yeah that's yeah. true so, right so if i were to summarize um what we've discussed mm-hmm. some keywords empowerment yeah. transparency mm-hmm. understanding agility flexibility resilience and engagement yeah yeah I think, pretty, uh, pretty honesty as well from leaders i think is a key yeah. one uh, and like you said, critical. yeah, treat treat employees as human beings. They have a brain, they have a heart, so they think and they feel. Um, yeah, and so remember we have to that. Stop. Yeah, that's true. So we have to stop treating them like a number and start yeah. treating them like people. Because Absolutely. a lot of people that you have conversations with, they say, you know, well, I'm just a number. Mm-hmm. I'm just an insignificant cog in the yeah. organizational machinery. They're very far from yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Important. I agree. <laughs> There's a self-deprecating statements, but I think that sort of boils down from the fact that management you will perceive yourself as how you're being treated Mm -hmm. 
yeah and vice yeah. versa i think it's, it's a vicious cycle so i think exactly. leadership also plays a major role yeah right wonderful thank you very much john well you're for more being than on welcome podcast. this was very interesting thank you <laughs> i thoroughly enjoyed it thank you very and much as did i thank you <laughs> to all our listeners thank you for joining us today and we hope you enjoyed today's episode for more information on oakwood international's qualifications and short courses head on over to our website www oakwooddubai.ae so that's www.oakwoodubai.ae you can also access our blogs and the podcast there join us next time where we talk performance management with our associate harry puckering until then stay safe everyone Bye.